Oh, man. Praise God. Are, are you just so excited? Yeah. I was, I, was, I was a youngin when I gave my life to Jesus. And I remember, you know, going to camp and doing all those different things. Those are things that shaped me. And, and many of you had input into my life in those years. And this is how God works. One disciple makes another disciple. Are you ready to hear from God? Are you ready to open the word this morning? Would you open your Bibles to 1 John, please? 1 John, we've been talking about beloved. And, and the idea is John is writing this book to a, a bunch of different people from a bunch of different levels of maturity in their faith in Jesus, and he keeps calling them beloved. He keeps calling them little children. He keeps using phrases and terms that you would associate with family. You know, at Crosspoint, we're not fancy. I mean, obviously, we're not a fancy church. We're a family church, and that's who we are in Christ, is we are a family, brother and sister in Jesus, and we're going to talk about that more this morning. Have you guys ever gone on vacation? Anybody? Yeah? I have a picture up here. Can you put that picture of the, the sweet vacation spot up there? Now, I love, there was one vacation I went on. For our 10th anniversary, Nicole and I, you know what we did? We, we got away from kids, from life, and we took a vacation, just the two of us. It was me, Nicole, and a place called Cancun. And it was phenomenal. It, there was more people than that. But I thought this was, have you ever gone on a vacation like this? And, and this was one of those times where Nicole and I, we were so excited when we made the plans, we booked the flights, we did all the, the things. You know what we started doing? Started counting down the days. Started looking forward to going. You know what I started doing? Started realizing, you know what, uh, I'm going to be wearing a bathing suit while I'm there. You know, I'm going to have to uh, tone the old abs. Actually, I have one big giant ab at this point right now. And, and I, would, I, I have to get in shape. I have to do all these things. And, and we made all these preparations. And every day it became something. As the closer it got, the more excited we began to get. And we started changing our life because of the hope that we had. It had a very powerful effect on those few months of our life. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Well, we're going to read about that right here in 1 John chapter 3. Turn your Bible with me to 1 John chapter 3. And John is, God bless you. John is writing and he says, See how very much our heavenly Father loves us. For he allows us to be called his children, and we really are. But the people who belong to this world don't know God, so they don't understand that we are his children. Yes, dear friends, we are already God's children, and we can't even imagine what we will be like when Christ returns. But we do know that when he comes, we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who believe this will keep themselves pure just as Christ is pure. Those who sin are opposed to the law of God, for all sin is opposed to the law of God. 
And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, for there is no sin in him. So if we continue to live in him, we won't sin either. But those who keep on sinning have never known him or understood who he is. Dear children, verse 7, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it is because they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not sin because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they have been born of God. So now we can tell who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not obey God's commands and does not love one another does not belong to God. So we're going to talk this morning about pure motivation. We, we just read in this passage a lot of different things, but it all comes down to three basic points, and that's what's on your outline. The first one, are you with me? A change in our identity is what he's talking about in verse 1. He says, we are children of God. See how very much our Heavenly Father loves us, for He allows us to be called His children. And we actually are His children. Now listen. I I want you to write this out really quickly. It's the next thing on your notes. It is blank that we can be children of God. It is blank. I want you to fill in that blank. It is blank that we could be children of God. You fill in the blank. What are are you thinking? What are you writing in? We can talk. You can tell me. What are some things you're writing in the blank? It is true. It's amazing. Anything else? It is what? It is real. True, amazing. Is anybody putting old news? It is old news that we can be children of God. Anybody write that down? It is amazing. It's impossible. It's humanly impossible that you and I can be children of God. Did you know not everybody is a child of God? We tend to think that, oh, we're all God's children, aren't we? He's got the whole world in his hands, right? And we're all God's children. We kind of learn this, and we feel like this growing up that, that, you know, God made everybody. We're all God's children. And it's true that we were made by God and designed by a heavenly Father who loves us and wants us to be his children. But it is not true that everybody on this earth is a child of God. Ephesians chapter 2. If you've got a second, flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. We see the real state in which we are born as humans. Ephesians, Paul is writing to this church and he says, and you were dead. You were born dead in your trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 is what I'm reading. 
And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world and according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Now listen, that's, that's you and me. Before Jesus came along, before Jesus inter, intervened in our life, before we bowed to Jesus, before we gave our lives to him, that's you and me, sons of disobedience. Sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all, formerly, we lived in the lusts of our own flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That is not a very fun message to hear. This is what we're born into. We naturally disobey God. We are naturally children of wrath. We are naturally people who are enemies of of God. That is the natural state of humanity since the fall of man. I never had to teach my kids, okay, it's time to learn how to be selfish. Here it is. This is your selfish lesson. Tomorrow we're going to work on being angry, and I'm going to teach you how to get angry tomorrow. And, And... the third day, we're going to talk about being afraid. I'm going to teach you fear on the third day. You know, all of these things, they happen naturally to us as humans. And we're all in the same boat. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. We are all in that, that same boat. And that is why God, in his love, stepped in. You see, it was God's plan all along to save humanity because of his great love for us. He made a way for us. He made a way for us, and that way is Jesus. Jesus came, he lived as one of us, he was God in human form, and he represented us to God perfectly. He was the Son of God, and he lived a perfect, spotless, sinless life. A life that you and I could never hope or dream to live. And he lived that for us. And he died on the cross. He was crucified. Today is actually Palm Sunday, which we celebrate in Christendom as the week before Jesus was actually betrayed, crucified, and resurrected. That's what today is. And they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna simply means save what they didn't realize that God was saving them, but not from Rome. He was saving them from sin. He was saving them from wrath. He was allowing them to be adopted into a new family, the family of God. And that's what he says. That's what Paul finishes saying. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, we were born, we were still born. We were dead in our sin, and God breathed life into us through Jesus. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I love that word, grace. It's one of my favorite words. You know what it really actually just simply means? Gift. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's a gift. Because of God's love, he gave us a gift, and that gift is Jesus. So the first thing is he changes 
our identity, who we are. Anyone who is in Christ, anyone who gives their life to Jesus, his righteousness, his holiness is now applied to you. Does that blow your mind? Like, I'm just like, as sinful as I am and have been, all of my sin, past, present, and future, is under the blood of Jesus. And I am holy before an almighty God. And that could be you. So when he says that we are children of God, this shouldn't be something old. It shouldn't be something regular for us. We should be overwhelmed and just flabbergasted by the truth, by the reality that we are children of God. I love Romans 8 is another passage that talks about this. And it's just so powerful. But it it says in, in Romans 8, verse 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. These are the children of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That word, Abba, Father, you know what that really means? It's a term of endearment. It's only a small child would use that to refer to their daddy. And so here's God. Are you seeing this scene right now? He's in his throne room. If you want to know what the throne room of God looks like, read Revelation 4, read Daniel 7. It'll paint you a picture. Here's these angels in God's presence, trembling, worshiping, hiding their face from his presence. And in God's power, in his throne room, in his glory, these angels are ever there, ever present. There's these living beings, these creatures that cannot be described apart from their, they're just beings that are alive. And all they do is worship God. In Isaiah 6, you see that there's these angels and all they say is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And their life is not wasted. That's all they do. And, and they're good with that. So here's God in his glory and the angels surrounding him. And here's you and me because of Jesus getting to run up to him. Daddy. And these angels are looking at this. What kind of access is this? How is it possible? And it just promotes the glory of God that people like us could have access to the holy of holies. The king of glory, the ancient of days, you and I have lap access to God. That is just insane. Doesn't that blow your mind? You can have that access to God, not because of you or me or our efforts, but because of Jesus and what he's done. So it is blank that we can be children of God. It might be you're here this morning and you just kind of like, you know, yeah, whatever. If that's you, 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 you just missed it. You, you missed the whole point of this book. That you and I can go from enemies of God to children of God. 
to an Abba Father relationship with the Holy One. It is blank that you and I could be children of God. It's a change in our identity. That's the first thing he talks about in these first verses. And then the second thing he talks about is a change in our destiny. Everybody say that with me. Destiny. One more time, because you didn't know what I was doing here. Destiny. Good. You guys are so sharp. For a Sunday morning, you're really sharp. Okay, here we go. I'm going to read these first few verses. See how very much our Heavenly Father loves us, for He allows us to be called His children, and that's really who we are. But the people who belong to this world don't know God, so they don't understand that we are His children. Beloved. We are already God's children, and we can't even imagine what we will be like when Christ returns. But we do know that when he comes, we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who believe this will keep themselves pure, just as Christ is pure. This is the big kicker for me. A change in our destiny. I love that. We cannot even imagine what we'll be like when Jesus returns. Romans 8, we were just there. It talks about how no eye has seen. It is just beyond anything we can imagine. The suffering we have now is nothing to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us later. Do you... I mean, I imagine like flying, you know? I think it'd be really cool to teleport. I don't, this is all just conjecture. I'm just coming up with this stuff. But I imagine sometimes, have you ever like sat there and imagined what is glorified Ben gonna look like? You know? (laughs) You guys are laughing. Have you ever done that? I don't know, maybe I'm a nerd or something, but I just, I love to think about this. When we see him, We will be like him. When we see him, we will be like him. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what that would be like? One of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis. Have you guys ever read the Chronicles of Narnia? Nod your head if you're like, yeah, I have. Okay, good, a few of you. And and the movies don't count. I mean, the movies are okay, but that's not the same as reading the book. Come on, read the book. But in the last battle, one of my favorite lines is when when they get into this, this glorified Narnia scenario, all of these humans are asking Aslan, can we do this? Can we do this? And Aslan says to them, you can't want wrong things any longer. Can you imagine that? My desire for evil and the pleasures of the flesh, my desire to just exalt myself to the throne is gone. And all I ever want from that point on is good, God-pleasing things. I love that. When we see him, we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. And whoever has this hope purifies himself. Now that's the thing. Is if you have that hope, it's kind of like that vacation I was talking about. Because I had that hope, 
I was getting ready. I was thinking about it. I was counting down the days. I was watching what I ate. I was doing all these different things. And why? Because I was so excited. I was so excited about who I was and where I was going and who I was going with. This is what John is saying. Whoever has this hope purifies himself. And it's not hard for you. It's not like a challenge. It's not monotonous or a strain because you would much rather have this than all of this. Does that make sense? Nod your head if you're with me. So the second thing is a change in destiny. If you're not passionate about purity and living in a way that pleases God, then you really just don't see the hope. Because if you see Jesus and see what he's done for you, it transforms everything. It wrecks you in the most beautiful way. Whoever has this hope purifies himself because Jesus is pure. There's old, an old spiritual song that says, I want to get so close to him that it's no big change on that day that Jesus calls my name. One of these days, you're going to meet God face to face. You and I, we have an appointment. A few weeks ago, a young man, who, he was a phenomenal young man. His name was Andrew. He was on a plane. He did music production for worship ministries all around the world. And he was on a plane headed to the UK for a worship gathering of just a, a bunch of people and all of a sudden boom 29 years old his heart stopped heart attack 29 years old he was dead before the plane landed and he was in eternity you and i we have an appointment we tend to think that eternity's far away don't we we tend to think like we've got years. We live like that. But the reality is heaven is close. Heaven is close. And the last point I wanted to make is a change in our activity. In verses 4 through 10. It says, those who sin are opposed to the law of God. Now, this word sin, in this context, what he's talking about, he's not talking about a slip-up. You understand? He's not talking about when you make a mistake or when you, when you slip into sinful desires and you yield to temptation. He's talking about a purposeful, continual pattern of willful sin. And so he says... Those who sin are opposed to the law of God, for all sin opposes God's law. Lawlessness is one translation, is, is how they say that. But, but sin is opposed to God's law, and so that's lawlessness. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, for there is no sin in him. So, if we continue to live in him, meaning Christ, we won't sin either. What that means is, as we live in Christ, our desire and our will to give in to sin or to, to yield to that or to live in that goes away more and more and more. 
we become more and more like Jesus. So if we continue to live in him, we won't sin either. But those who keep on sinning have never known him or never understood who he is. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it is because they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil who has been sinning from the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. I love that verse. That's what he came. He came to destroy death. He came to destroy destruction. He came to undo all the evil. He came to make the wrong right. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not sin because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they have been born of God. So now we can tell who the children of God are and who are the children of the devil. We can, we can tell. Anyone who does not obey God's commands and does not love other Christians does not belong to God. The last thing is a change in our activity. You know, we really like the change of identity and we really like the change in destiny. But sometimes we just want those two things. And we don't want to have to change our activity. But John's point here is if you've really truly understood who Jesus is and what he's done for you, if you understand that I am a child of God, it transforms you. If you really see what he's going to do in your life, if you see that destination and you see who he's destined you to become now, it purifies you. It's a, it's a motivation for you to be pure and to live pure. And if you really understand that, you can't live the same any longer. Our lives, believers, our lives have a supernatural advantage. We should handle the DMV line better than all the normal humans. We should handle the lines at Costco or the parking, the parking structure at Costco. It's just, it's horrible. We should handle that better. We should handle traffic. We should handle troubles and trials. We should handle bills differently than unbelievers. Because whoever has this hope purifies himself. You realize that if you're in Christ, the worst thing that could happen to you is you go to heaven. I'm good with that. I can deal with that. I'm banking everything on heaven. But what really breaks my heart is how rarely believers tend to think about heaven about the reality of who we are in Christ and about what will happen when he appears. You know he's coming soon, did you know that? It's kind of like your check engine light on your car, have you ever had that go on? And the longer that check engine light is on, the closer you are to your car breaking down. Have you ever had that on and you just had it on for weeks and weeks and weeks and it's kind of like you're counting down? Well, in a happy way, that's us with Jesus. He's coming back. 
And the fact that he didn't come back yesterday just means we're one day closer. But we tend to get into this strain and this monotony, this boring cycle and this pattern and this rut where we just think that he's not going to come. Or we live like that. Heaven is close. It's closer than you think. You and I, whether it's through death or the return of Jesus, very soon, this whole glorification thing will be an absolute reality. So I have this song. This song was played at Andrew's, at Andrew's memorial service a week ago. And it was so powerful. It just lined up so much with this hope that we're talking about. I wanted John to play this for us. Is that all right? Nod your head if, yeah, that's okay. Shake your head if you're like, no, I refuse to listen to this. Good, we're all on the same page. But this is a, a, a song that's about heaven, and it's a song that reminds me, it's, the chorus is a hymn that I used to sing as a kid. And I think it's about time that we be reminded of what Jesus has done for us and what we have waiting for us. It's about time that we start living like we have a hope, like we have a future, and that we have a savior. And heaven is not just for someday, it's for now, it's for here, it's available for anyone. So would you just listen and respond to this song as John sings, and if you feel like joining in, you can join in. I think the words will be up on the slide, but if not, Just kind of listen and do business with God during this time. You know, afterwards we'll have a response time if God's working in your life. We'll do that after this song. But for now, just listen to the words. Participate if you want. Go ahead, John. One day you'll make everything new. Jesus, one day you will bind every wound. The former things shall all pass away. No more tears. One day you'll make sense of it all. Jesus, one day every question resolved Every anxious thought left behind No more fear When we all get to heaven What a day of rejoicing victory one day we will see face to face Jesus is their greater vision of grace and in a moment we shall be changed One day all the struggle will cease 
Jesus is there a greater vision of grace and in a moment we shall be changed yes in a moment we shall be changed oh in a moment we shall be changed on John leading us through that. Oh. I watched a movie a couple weeks ago. It's a pretty good movie called Black Panther. Anybody see that? One of the things that really resonated with me, Wakanda forever. Anybody who saw that knows what I'm talking about. See, in the movie, Wakanda is a vision of humanity at its best all the problems of the world could be solved through Wakanda but the whole story is about the struggle of them wanting to keep it to themselves and they protected Wakanda and they kept it safe and they didn't let anybody in and that reminds me of us as a church in America the people of God we have heaven we have heaven. We literally have the answer to every struggle and every trial that people are facing. We have hope to give people. Hope for cancer. We have hope for type 1 diabetes. We have hope for marriages that are divorced. We have hope for relationships that are broken. We have hope to end war. We have hope for every thing that is horrible about this world we have hope for that but if we keep it to ourselves we are the villains in the story heaven forever we need to open it up we need to let people in we need to share the good news I think that parallels so closely in the same way that Black Panther and his people decided we need to share Wakanda. We need to open our eyes, you and I. We need to live heaven. We need to let people in. We need to give them hope. But it doesn't come unless we really have that hope ourselves. Whoever has this hope purifies himself, purifies herself. Is there something God's doing in your life this morning?